you don't know how much longer you've got. If you're not happy with your life now, you've got to get out and make something change. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tales from the Journey. I'm Stephanie Zamora and today we are here with Jessie Shedden and I'm so excited to have her because she has quite the story and it's an incredible journey of coming back from terrible relationships, bullying, assault, and surviving a cult. So Jessie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here, Stephanie. I'd love if you could just take a moment to share a bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Well, according to my bio, I am a British-Australian, chicken-loving, cult-escaping badass of a woman. And I think that's kind of accurate. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm also a speaker and an inspirational author of Tomorrow's Not Promised, which is my recently released memoir. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love your bio so much. Tell us about the chickens. Well, because it's the UK, right now they are tucked up asleep, Um, but I would have to say they are totally, some people have cats, some people have dogs, I have chickens, they're not there to poop me breakfast, they are there more like a therapy animal, they've been there through so many hard times, they've been the one constant, and any guy I've been with knows that they come first. Package deal. (laughs) And you know you got the right guy when he gets rid of his pond that he's had for 20 years and builds you a chicken run. Oh, so, yeah, they've had the I best house that. they've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have been through a tremendous journey, and I know that you're still on it like all of us, but take us back to the beginning. Where would you like to start with your story? I feel like it starts when I was about eight And at that point, I realized I just didn't feel the same as everyone else around me. I just knew there was something different. And for years, I put it down to not following the crowd. I wasn't a a sheep in that sense, which when you grow up in a cult, it's really important that you do. And I didn't. I was rebellious. I tried, but I just couldn't. And then it took me to a lot lot later on in my 30s before I was actually formally, well, I wasn't even formally, I was... Um, informed I had dyslexia which helped me understand that I thought differently but still didn't really explain 23 years of being bullied and I knew I wasn't it I knew I wasn't dumb but having I worked with my mother as a therapist in the dyslexia world and I knew that it didn't affect IQ Um, and it was just it was just a lot of hardship growing up that was seemed really really unnecessary And when I was 16, I was unfortunately sexually abused by somebody outside the cult. Um, But I also realized at the same time, I never wanted to be in a relationship with someone inside it. I just didn't, I just didn't feel one of them. And I couldn't see a future. And at the age of 18, I then um, fell for somebody outside of it. And that was, it's a no-no to be in relationships outside of it. So that caused me more problems. But I should probably say briefly, like some of the hardships were women weren't allowed to wear jeans, pants, I think you call them in the US. Um, no makeup, no jewellery, uh, no cutting of hair. Um, we weren't allowed to go to pubs, clubs, restaurants, bars. We weren't allowed pre-recorded music, no TV, no radios, no cinema, no theatre. Um, we never went away on holidays, no festivals, no concerts. There was a lot of very fun things that were not approved 
and university wasn't either. Yeah. So were you born into this cult environment? Yeah. So it's multi-generational for me. So it goes back to at least my great-grandfather and I would have been inducted in at the age of about a week old. Wow. So what was it like for you to navigate growing up inside the cult, knowing that you were different and having having all these limitations, like no access to what's really going on in the world? Like, How did you start to know that you were in a situation that wasn't right for you? It's tricky because a lot of that you've never known any different. So you've never known what it's like to grow up with TV. In fact, with with dyslexia, one of the things is being very easily distracted. So if my partner now has the TV on in another room, I, I am really easily distracted because I'm not used to growing up hearing that noise in the background. Um, but it was things like once you got married, you weren't able to work unless your partner had left you or had died. Um, you were expected to have children and you couldn't leave the family home unless you got married. And that was where I started to come very unstuck because it just really didn't work for me. Some of the other limitations I kind of grown used to because you didn't know any different, but those I was like, I don't like any of the choices that are on offer in terms of guys. I can't, I'm 30 and I can't leave my family home. I'm under house arrest because I'd had a relationship in the past. Every moment of my time was accounted for. I'm 30. And even if I, you know, if I did like my options, I would then be married. I would be in my own home. People wouldn't be watching me every second of the day. I had no breathing space at all. And there's only so long you can continue feeling that repressed. Yeah, absolutely. Was the bullying, did that take place in the cult? Oh, very much so, because that was really the only people you were around. So you went to work or you went to school. You came home and had a meal really briefly and went straight back out to church that night and jumped into bed. And then four times at church on a Sunday and you had it again on Saturday morning. So, you know, about the only downtime you had was during Saturday, which was catch up. Wow. When did you realize that it was something that you wanted to leave? I don't think you ever really want to realize it because you know you're going to have to leave everything behind. And I've had to leave my entire family behind. So you probably know it subconsciously, but you don't want to acknowledge it to yourself. And I knew that. I mean, I knew it was it was going to have to happen that way from about the age of 18, but I knew I wasn't strong enough. I had the option then. The guy I fell for on the outside of it would have taken me, but I was like, if we don't work out, I don't feel strong enough to, to continue on my own. I, I haven't got the street smarts. I haven't got the knowledge. I'm going to lose my job. I don't have much money behind me. You know, I, I just can't do this. So I didn't do it then. By the time I left at the age of 30, I had finances. So I was in a much stronger position, but it had taken me doing some self-development exercises in 2016, December 2016, to realize that what did I, if I was lying on my deathbed, what would I have wanted to have done with my life? And I realized then I wasn't doing that. And then February the 14th, the following year, my mother was diagnosed with cancer and she was only 66. It was a massive shock and it just went, Jesse, you don't know how much longer you've got. If you're not happy with your life now, you've got to get out and make something change. Yeah. What was it that you realized that you wanted to do with your life? 
I wanted to reconnect with the person I'd met before and see if there was still any spark there because I'd never let go of that emotionally. Um, obviously, I'd been forced to. I'd been made to write a letter under duress to tell him I didn't love him anymore, made to burn everything, um, destroy all his contact details, everything. And so I never really was able to heal from it. And I, I couldn't talk to anybody about it because it was a it was a sin. So I had no grieving process and I'd hung on to it through the really dark times. And I just wanted to reach out and I reached out and it was, it was clear instantly. It was clear that we just connected like that. However, he was in a relationship now. So that was not a simple situation at all. Um, so I had to really find my own strength in myself to realize if I was going to leave and it was the right thing to do, I had to leave not just for him. And I had to be able to stand on my own if it never worked out between us which I'm so glad I had to process that before I left because it left me in a lot stronger position afterwards. Yeah. What did that process look like? It was horrible, really horrible because my mother was passing of cancer at the time. I was one of her primary carers. I was having to do all of this behind her back. Um, I was able to go and see a counsellor again with nobody knowing and having to cover my tracks all the time. And he just, he was like, you're always talking about this guy. What about you? What about you? What do you want? I'd never been asked what I wanted before. I didn't even know what I wanted. And I remember him walking me through a literal physical exercise and he was going, can you separate hope from this particular guy? And he was able to do that. And I was like, now I know I'm going to be okay with or without him. Yeah. Wow. What was it? I'm very curious around all of your time was accounted for and you were very restricted from the outside world. It sounds like other than maybe going to work, how did you even discover counseling and how did you find your counselor? Um, We were aware of services. So I had like, I was using an osteopath and obviously we went to, we went to mainstream doctors and that kind of thing. Um, but in terms of finding one, I, w- I just got to pressure cook a point. You know, I was, I was desperately needing the contact of this guy on the outside because it was a lifeline for me. At the same time, I felt so much guilt because he was having an affair and I hated myself for it. And we were in this constant push, pull, push, pull, you know, who's he going to choose? Is he playing one off against the other? Then obviously my mother being diagnosed with cancer it was just like I can't talk to anyone about the amount of pressure that's being put on me so I did a bit of research online and came across someone that was called something like the breakup doctor and he turned out just to be a complete and utter scam and just fleeced me of thousands of pounds um, and put me through quite a bit of hell as well during that time then I tried another one and her judgment she was local it was a lot she was far cheaper she was more a proper counsellor but her judgment of me I was like you're talking to me about the sexual abuse as I asked for it. I, this is not the right route for me either. It was really hard, really hard. And finally I found a third one and I was like, Oh, finally I found someone that actually wants to be there for me. Oh, I'm so glad you did. It breaks my heart to hear that. I know there are a lot of therapists and healers and coaches that have not done their own work and bring their own biases and judgments into it. And it's so damaging and detrimental. So I'm, I'm so glad you were able to find him. What did it look like for you to remove yourself from the cult and really find your footing outside of it? Incredibly hard. Incredible. I'm so glad I didn't know how hard it was going to be. Um, to lit- I literally had to escape 
at the end I had obviously I had to do everything behind people's backs and that was crippling in itself because you love these people um I had to rent a property I had to move all my bits out um bit by bit as I could and then when I'd gotten out I was just so lonely so lonely I didn't know anybody I've got no friends really at all I mean like I had a, a dentist and an osteopath and you know they're all service providers they're not really friends they don't they're not in, they're not obligated to give you their friendship or support um and it was the 11th of December and everybody was in merrymaking mode and I was just sitting inside going I don't know anyone I got no tv it's as quiet as a mouse in this place I've got no job I've got no social circle and that was one of the hardest things was just hearing the sound of those walls. There was just nothing. You know, I wanted freedom, but it was a void, a massive void. Hadn't anticipated that at all. Yeah, I'm sure. Were you in the same area? Did you go somewhere else? Yeah, no, I was very, I was in the same area pretty much. I moved to another village, like a little bit away, but it was all area I was familiar with but I was still looking over my shoulder a lot so I would go food shopping when I knew that they would be at church service that makes sense we talk a lot about on this podcast and, and journey mapping this idea of reorienting so you are you are free you have your freedom and you're able to do whatever it is that you want and you have to really learn to relate to yourself and the world in a new way what was what was that like for you I had to learn a lot of things that a were brand new and really exciting so you know I drew up a spreadsheet of all these new experiences I wanted to have that I'd never had even just wearing jeans and getting comfortable walking around going out and thinking people aren't going to look at me like I'm weird um because they notice I'm awkward in them or anything like that mostly people don't notice anything actually right um <laughs> too busy thinking about what they look like right um, but I was able to do things like take a little pleasure ride um in a in a in a small plane so I could do some aerial photography, which I'd never been allowed to do. Um, and start to develop a relationship with myself, actually understand what it is I liked and what I wanted to do. So I tried out a whole bunch of stuff. I was, um, I was laughing the other night. I went, I went and I don't know if you could have auditioned for being a bell ringer in a church. So I don't, no, if you have them so much in America, but over here we have obviously bells up in the church and it's really heavy and they're wanting a lot of people to take it on as a voluntary thing. And I just went and tried it for the, I was, it was just one of those things. It was like, do you know what? I'm like a kid at Christmas time. Let's try these things because there's so many options. And it was also things like self-love. I'd never been taught self-love. I'd never been taught how to relax and take downtime. I hadn't been, I'm not just taught, but not even allowed it. Now, I'm, I'm sure most people aren't taught how to relax, but permit even knowing that you are permitted to do it and you're not just being lazy and finding my own style and identity, just so many little things that people would take just for granted growing up, never think about it. Yeah. What was it like to learn your preferences about things? Exciting. Very exciting. Uh, it's take, it honestly has taken me till this year to really start to understand who I am because it's very easy to just do what you think everybody else is doing rather than actually 
take stock and think what suits me you know I do it you just it's so easy to carry along by society so this year I actually threw out all my high heels which I hated wearing I used to have to wear them to church I couldn't really wear them because I was wearing I got rheumatoid arthritis and my joints really hurt I like, they're all going. And um, those are being replaced with cowboy boots now because I know that's what I love and I know that's my style now and I'm going to embrace it. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. That makes my heart happy. Um, what was it like for you? I know you talked, you shared with me a bit about having not excellent relationships. What was it like for you to start dating? Scary, actually. It was kind of fun and scary all at the same time actually being allowed to so there was a lot around you know there was a there was a lot that was taboo a lot that was not acceptable so no physical contact we were given no sex education even reproductive pages were glued together in our workbooks at school um so there's a real lack of knowledge and we weren't actually allowed to spend any time in a man's presence um talking to them particularly i couldn't even be in the car with my male cousin down to that yeah um so there was a lot of lack of knowledge, but also freedom. And, and of course, like, you know, there was no, there was no contraception. There was no sex toys or anything like that. All of that was out of the equation. So it's like, oh, I get to start experimenting. But then you also realize how you're quite vulnerable and you're quite naive and it's very easy to get preyed upon. And that was horrible and really painful. I... I went into, I kind of by default went into modeling for a year and I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'd been bullied for my appearance and told that, you know, I didn't care for myself, didn't care how I looked and so on and so forth. And so in the past, and so going into that, I started getting all this external validation. I was like, wow. And I was like, this is amazing. It feels really good. I'm getting a high from this. People actually think I can look amazing, which was healing in its own way. And then it started to it kind of it did that bell curve and it was like oh now I'm getting the nasty messages the stuff I don't want I'm getting guys hitting on me for all the wrong reasons I'm ending up with you know perverts in my inbox it was was horrible really horrible um down to stalking down to infatuations and it was like no this is what I don't want and I, I stepped out of it for that reason in the end and also because there was an awful lot of amateur photographers taking advantage of amateur models. And when you realize you're only worth something to them, if you, the more you strip off, you're just being seen as a piece of meat. And that just actually does so much damage to your confidence. Yeah. What did you do to really raise your self-worth after everything you had been through? I thought that having the ability to do what I chose was to a degree taking my power back which it was um but then you still got a lot of naivety and it wasn't until this year I really started to step into my power when I finally ended up in a healthy relationship and much as I resented him saying it at the beginning he was able to help me see how I was still devaluing myself but prior to that I did a couple of workshops which were amazing around love and also around the balance of power and staying centered in your own power and understanding some of those dynamics was just mind-blowing it just blew everything wide open it was like ah, I can see this now absolutely besides working with the counselor 
and the workshops, were there any other mentors or support systems that you took advantage of? I did a lot of self-development in terms of courses and things. Um, that was something they had been quite hot on business-wise in the past anyway, so I was used to that. Um, one of the things I found the hardest was developing a network of safe, of actual actual friends, healthy friendships, because people see a, a confident, dynamic person and you get a lot of hangers-on and they just want you for what they can get. And I really didn't have the ability to deal with that because I didn't have a, a proper foundation underneath it. Um, so I started to be very careful around how, around protecting my energy. And I, and <laughs> I sort of done this very quick spurt of friendship making. And it feels like a sort of series of fireworks. So you sort of go through one set of friends, realize so many are unhealthy and you drop them and you move on to the next level and on to the next level. And I just felt like I kept up leveling until I found even now I'm very careful about who I regard as a friend because you know I haven't got friends that I've known since school um so I'm having to do a lot of that filtering with new lenses as I hone my bullshit detector yeah absolutely it's such an interesting thing I mean even for me I never had childhood friends that carried with me through life. I didn't start making friends until I was in my mid to late twenties, but I have learned that with growth comes out growing. Like when you're doing a lot of healing and growth work and you're really committed to, I only want a certain level of relationship and, and I value myself and I want that reflected back from the people in my life. Like you're constantly doing what you're saying. You're like on this rapid path of passing through until you meet people that are willing to grow with you. I've been quite judgmental of myself on that. Like I thought, oh, people are going to think she's here today, gone tomorrow. And I'm like, no, I really want to protect my energy now. And I'm not just going to give it out to anyone. And as you say, when you're on a journey, sometimes they're on that journey with you for a fraction of time. And then they don't move forward when you do. And it's only right for you to keep moving forward. Yeah, definitely. What was it like for you? I know you're very vocal and you share, obviously you're on this podcast and you've been on other podcasts and you have your book. What was it like for you to share your upbringing and your background and your having grown up in a cult with the people closest to you? Terrifying and freeing. So I, this, when I started writing my book, I, I didn't honestly expect to share what I've shared. I thought, oh, it's just going to be a self-help book for, you know, the lessons I've learned. And then I was like, because I was going to write just about the time after having left. And I was like, I can't really tell any of this without having involved, included where I come from. Um, and it's time I finally opened up about it because the first couple of years, I never told anybody as to who I was or where I came from. and. I just, I said it before, but I, I've done fully nude photo shoots, but I've never felt as naked as when I put my book out there because there's nowhere to hide and you have to be ready for that. You're just bear it, sharing and bearing your soul to everyone. And yet, you know, I remember giving out to the first four or five beta readers and I was like, I sat there just thinking, what are they going to think? What are they going to think? And I think one of the reasons why I hadn't shared it was because I, I'd had a couple of nasty experiences 
where people kind of looked at me like I had three heads and I was like, well, I don't want to, I'm trying to build a friendship circle here. I don't want to be driving people away. And I'm worried that when they see this, they'll go, what the, and do a runner. But it, it can be more opposite. I've just found so much support and admiration and it's allowed me to take some credit for what I've actually done when I didn't realize it was such a big thing. I have to say your description of writing a book is so accurate. I did in my early twenties, I think I did a boudoir shoot as part of a mastermind group. So I'm, I'm naked with photographers and other girls from the group. And that was incredibly uncomfortable, but writing a book and burying your soul and sharing your story. And it's like, for me, it was like taking slivers of my soul and putting them on the page for like people to do with it what they will. But you're right. My experience as well is, has been incredibly freeing. And yes, there are people that judge us and have their opinions and whatever their reactions, but there's a lot more understanding I have found. And, and supporting other people with our stories, I think is, is why it's so important. Like letting someone else who has been through things you have been through know that they're not alone and they're not crazy and there's nothing wrong with them, that it takes time to find your footing in the aftermath is, is so incredibly important. I would, I would say that releasing the memoir has been one of the biggest and best things I've ever done and I've just seen some of the other women who have left who I didn't even know before the book have really come to life and they've started to stand up for themselves and they've started to speak their truth and you know hearing them come back and say I did x y and z because I read your book makes it so worthwhile and the number of people who've said to me you've touched more lives than you could ever know and you know, it's not a bestseller status or anything yet. And I'm thinking you know, it's already starting to have a ripple effect. And for people to know that somebody else can have a judgment of you, but that's their insecurities, their issues coming up, things that they've not dealt with yet. And you just leave it there. Yeah, absolutely. So when was it that you decided to write the book? It was just... I think it was like about a week after the first lockdown had happened this year. And it was just like, oh, you know, I could probably write self-help book in 40 days. <laughs> and then something wholly different needed to come out. Yeah. What was the writing experience like for you? That's, that's incredible that you wrote it that quickly. I am impressed. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was I'd say it's patchy. There were days when it just flowed and it was like, yes, this all just came tumbling out. And I wrote, you know, I had a word count per day and I wrote like three times a word count and stuff like that. But then there were days when I was just like, this is really hard going. And I'd start writing something and I'd go, I'm not ready to share that yet. That That's a level too deep right now. I can't go into that. I have to take that out. And I only shared what I was ready to share. And there's still parts that are not healed. And it's not appropriate for them to come out yet. Yeah, I relate to that 100%. My next book will go into the parts that I was like, nope, not in this memoir, not in this first one. <laughs> yes. And that's what um, I'm waiting to do. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I think it's pretty obvious in some ways how your experiences have shaped you. Like it read to you, it led to you writing this book and sharing your story with the world and doing interviews and sharing your wisdom. But what are some less obvious ways that 
these experiences have shaped you into who you are now and who you're becoming? I've never been one for small talk, but I think it's really deepened, really deepened the kind of conversations I have with people and the kind of conversations I want to have and, and relationships. Um, there's a lot more I want to do. So I'm right in the process of developing a program to specifically talk to women in my situation, not necessarily left a cult, but who are child free around my kind of age where they've either been dumped or they've gone through a breakup and they are struggling to know what's gone wrong and why they can't achieve this kind of true love that they want, because you totally can, if you know how to do it. Um, and that was a major learning curve for me, major. There were all sorts of things that I never heard about. Um, and then also to show, cause I think my whole journey has been very much about creating a life on my own terms and one that I loved and it was like I was prepared to sacrifice a lot of things to get to that place. And I think from what I'm seeing of those around me, there's a lot of very unhappy people because they're not in a life they love. But they're really fearful of taking the steps toward one because they 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 don't know how it's going to unfold. They don't know what's going to unfold. And you, you never do. But you have to have a feel of the direction in which you want to go. And I just want to provide a support for those that are ready to take those steps you quite literally lost everything everything known and familiar and what I find the people that listen to this podcast or in my audience or that I work with and even just people I meet out in the world people are so terrified to do the growth and healing work and to go after what they really want because they have this fear of what they're going to realize they need to leave behind. Like you mentioned sacrifice and sacrifice is such a huge aspect of the work. Like you have to be willing to let go of things that no longer serve you. And so having been through a journey and an experience where you quite literally sacrificed everything known and familiar and all the people that you knew and loved, what is something that you would say to those people that have that fear? It's a, it's a very common quote but you cannot reach new lands unless you leave the shore but I would not concentrate on knowing what's ahead it's just concentrating on that gut feeling of what's right for you right now and making a very what's usually deemed in a negative sense a selfish decision but something that's right for you because no one else is going to take that step for you you have to take it for yourself and looking back I had no guarantee how things were going to end up on the outside at all. I had no concept of it, but I knew that staying was not an option. I was literally looking at suicide or this leap. That was how clear it had got in the end. But you don't have to wait till you push to that point. You don't. And sometimes we, some people, it's like you have to hit that bottom. But something that was said to me when I was really at my rock bottom was that you also always have the choice to raise rock bottom, like instead of having to fall as far down as you could, like, what if we just raised bottom to where you're at now and you decided that this is enough and that you're willing to do whatever it takes and to be brave because bravery is just taking action despite the fear and going after what you want. So I love that. That's, that's a really valuable lesson. I think another one that I really learned in the year after, which has helped me a lot because there was so much new, I was constantly stepping out of my comfort zone. 
over and over and over again. Just about everything was out of my comfort zone. And when you have rapid exposure to stepping out of your comfort zone, you start to get a bit more numbed to it, but you also start to remember what all those really quick highs felt like afterwards. That rush of adrenaline you get after you step down, it feels so cool because you got the result on the other side, is you start to go, I know what that's going to feel like now. That's going to feel amazing on the other side. And you push through it a bit easier. Yeah, definitely. That is so true. What is one thing that you, if you could go back and share something with younger you that was in the midst of living in this cult and being raised in that way and not having any kind of personal freedom or ability to be who you are, what's one thing that you would say to her? Reach out to people who've left before you. Mm. They're not who you think they are. So I was always told that they would be very bitter and nasty. Um, And they weren't. They absolutely weren't. Yes, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of PTSD, but they're not all raw. And I'm sure this applies in lots of other situations. If you can reach out to those who have walked that path before you, they're usually ready to offer a helping hand up. And you can learn so much from that rather than doing it all on your own. So true. It's true in so many situations. (laughs) We try to do it ourselves and think we're alone in it, but there are a lot of people, a surprising number of people, even like your situation, leaving a cult that have been through a similar experience. Um, Just to wrap things up. So we're going to share all of your amazing information in the show notes, but please tell people how they can learn from you, where they can hang out with you and where they can get a copy of your book. So you can certainly get the first chapter, which is available for free on my website, which is jessieshedden.com. You can also find me usually very much on Facebook under Jessie Shedden um, and also on Instagram under Jessie Shedden. Awesome. Jessie, thank you so much for being here and sharing your journey as well as all the wisdom that you've gained from it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv slash free, including access to an eight-week sampler of our renowned journey mapping program. That gives you instant access to impactful training lessons, life-changing exercises, and our signature AccuSesh processes that you can implement immediately. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community, so please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.